Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And welcome to The Food Fight where we offer a different perspective on food culture issues around Australia and the world. We'll talk with chefs, producers, business owners and experts to hear their stories and find out what makes them tick. This episode we're speaking to Chris Bolton from Curramine Beach in far north Queensland about his sustainable and premium quality coral trout, the sustainability of the reef fish fishery and what he does to keep that quality through to market. Welcome to another Food Fight Podcast. I'm your host, Steph Bostuma. Thank you so much for joining me. This is a, a really special one today here on Good Friday. Uh, we always begin our podcast with an acknowledgement of country, so I'd like to acknowledge the Mamu people, who are the traditional custodians of the land where we gather and speak here today, and pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging. All right. Well, if you guys don't recognize this bloke, this is Chris Bolton, and we find ourselves for this Food Fight podcast at Caramine Beach here in tropical North Queensland, the furthest we've ever been for a podcast. Chris, thank you so much for having me, mate. It's a pleasure. No, it's a pleasure to talk to you, Steph. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. Very exciting. So for people who don't know what you do, and I know that a lot of people who listen to this podcast do, tell us a bit about what you do and, and you know, why do you reckon I want to talk to you? <laughs> uh, so I'm a com- commercial fisherman um, Specialising in line caught reef fish On the Great Barrier Reef We also catch bait High quality bait for game fishermen You know, marlin um, Sailfish, things like that mm-hmm. um, Yeah, everything we do is Of course, high quality Premium product Low, quanti- low quantity, high quality Yeah, cool all right, um, I'm going to take you through. We want to go through everything here. I've got some notes on my phone. I'm going to have to keep tapping into it just in case. I always lose it. Okay, here we go. So I want to know about when you started fishing. I mean, I started fishing because my dad was a fisherman as well, but it was the same case for yours? Yeah, Steph. No, I've been fishing geez, since before I can remember. My old man, well, my whole family, grandfathers, um, parents, uncles, everything were, were fishermen and... Um, born into it basically yeah and that were they commercial fishermen yeah there was a couple of commercial fishermen um a couple of them were just recreational that were that were dead set against commercial fishermen so i've I've had both sides yeah yeah cool and let's let's talk a bit about where we are so tell us about carmine beach we've just driven here it's about an hour and a half south of cairns um and you know you've got all your gear here um tell us about where you fish yeah caramine beach is just a little little um what would you say it's very quiet little sleepy town 
think it's only three or four hundred people population. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's on the edge of the Barrier Reef. Actually, we've got a reef right on the coast. You can walk to one of the reefs at low mm. tide from Curramine. I think it's one of the only places anywhere that you can walk. Yeah, to a King reef. reef. I was having a look. It's sort of the yeah. closest to the coast the, the the Barrier Reef comes. Yeah, basically anywhere. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I've basically fished out of here. You know, from since I was a kid with the parents and grandparents and. One of my grandparents lived down here at Curramine, so every school holidays we were down here going going to the reefs. Um, I fish the same reefs now, same methods, catch the same fish as I did yeah, back, right. yeah, way back then. Wow. And so how how long does it take to, to get to your fishing grounds from, from the shore here? Oh, the close ones, Steph, are, you know, I can be out there fishing in 45 minutes. Right. If I go a long way out, I'm sort of four hours but i sort of fish from anywhere from cairns to townsville i've got a fair area that yeah, i can okay. fish from here so. yeah and you've just developed sort of that knowledge over the years at first as a as a kid and 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 then as a commercial fisher of like you know where your most productive grounds and things like that are. yeah that's right i sort of you know by the time i was 15 i knew I knew where were the productive grounds and where we could catch different species and things like that. So even before I started started my working career, I knew this area very well, you know. So now I know a lot better. But yeah, it was it, well, that was a big help. Yeah, cool. Uh, and so I think that the the product that you're most well known for is the coral trout. You you, you sort of, as you said, you catch bait, but also a, a sort of a range of other reef species and stuff as well. Yeah. But the the coral trout's probably the thing people know you best for. Let's talk a bit about that fish. Is is there a reason why that? Why do you, why do you think you're best known for the coral trout? And tell us a bit about the species itself. Oh, I think coral trout's just known worldwide as one of the probably one of the best um fish in the ocean you know yeah. it's it's well known it's always been well known coral trout it's a nice clean flesh fish um i, I myself i think it lacks taste if anything right <laughs> it's just too sort of white and clean and sweet yeah there's there's not a lot of taste to it um so you know you get a lot of people that don't like fishy fish you hear yeah. them say that well that's coral trout's a fish that doesn't really taste like fish so um yeah coral trout's always been popular i know when i was a kid um we'd go fishing and there wasn't much that came home except coral trout Mm. most other fish you'd throw back and Mm. was just coral trout or red emperor as well you know they they were always kept but yeah and they're such a prolific fish as well they're fast growing um very fast breeding yeah they're just really they're the ideal fish Mm. yeah so it's like this sort of perfect harmony of you know fast growing fast breeding good eating and and what about are they are they easy species to catch compared to others i think like i know that down south if you want to target one species compared to another you might struggle um are they one of the easier fish to to sort of target on the reef yeah definitely um you know some days i can go out when I target coral trout and I can catch, say, 30 coral trout and maybe three other fish all day, right. you, can, you can really target coral trout. Yeah. And the coral trout grounds are close. You know, within 45 minutes, I can be, I can have a coral trout in the boat. Yeah, so okay, cool. They are, 
Yeah, they're a perfect fish, really. Yeah. So I, this all of this feeds into sustainability, which we'll sort of talk about um, a little bit later. But tell us about the different types of coral trout. Yeah, there's a lot of different types. Um, there's your common coral trout, which everyone sort of knows. You've got a blue spot, which is a darker coloured trout. Or they can be uh, yellow and black coloured, which is footballer. It's just a different colour morph of, of the blue spot. They get up to, geez, I've seen them up to about 25 kilos. Really? Wow. Yeah. Massive. Um, at that size, they're known for cigatera. So we've actually got an 80 centimetre maximum size limit on them, yeah, which okay, is right. about six kilo. So anything over that, we're not allowed to keep, which eliminates the you know, probability of having cigatera. Um, you've got the square tail or passion fruit trout. They're another beautiful looking trout. They've sort of got bigger spots on them that resemble passion fruit seeds. That's why they're called yeah, passion right. fruit trout. Yeah, cool. Um, you've got coronation trout, which is the one up up on top of the cover yep. there that I've got moulded. Nice. Um, bar cheek trout. They've got sort of little bars on their on their head rather than spots which um funny story there i used to believe it for a long time but <laughs> the old man told me when i was a kid that they the reason why the spots had got elongated we was because they were so fast they, they, <laughs> <laughs> it smudges the spots on them and, that's and, a great yeah. one to tell the kids <laughs> yeah um that's i think that's it five yeah, yeah five different ones that we get here is there any fla- is there any flavour difference between the species? Um, the passion fruit trout definitely tastes different. It's more it's more of a um, cod texture and taste, but I mean side by side, stiff. Ninety percent of people would have a lot of trouble picking the difference between any of them. Yeah. Really. Okay. Very similar. They they look similar to me from what I, I've seen is. <laughs> You know, if you had a silhouette of the fish, they'd look the same. It's it's more so the colorings and markings and things like Basically, that. Basically, main... yeah. When you really know the fish, you do see the differences. Some of them are a bit thicker in the shoulder. Some of them are a bit thicker towards the tail. There's yep. slight differences, but basically, it's the color. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on to let's let's start talking about what a sort of a day a day looks like. Um, let's talk about your boat. So you've got a couple of different boats that you use for different purposes out here. Yeah, that's right. The the um, Noosa Cat, it's a 7.4 metre cat. Um, it's sort of set up for nighttime fishing or overnight trips. So that's when we'll go out to the wide grounds. Um, I'll take a deckhand with me on that boat. We'll go sort of three to four hours out. Deep water, 70 to 100 metres of water. Um, that's for Red Emperor, Gold Band, Saddle Tail, things like that. Cool. Um, the small boat, when it's a bit rougher, this probably seems a bit backwards, but when it's a bit rougher weather, I'll use the small boat. Mm. Um, but that's because I can go to the closer grounds and target your coral trout and things like that. Um, that's just by myself, I'll do that. Yeah, okay. And the little one's also used for um, catching bait and garfish because yeah, okay. that's all close as well that's all around the islands and and river mouths and things like that yeah cool a bit of a diversity there 
the trusty old center console, the trusty little yeah. center console gets a lot of the work done. Yeah, no, the little boat, the little boat makes as much money as the big one, believe it or not. So yeah, there you go. Good. You're not surprised. Um, and so, so you can just you can just do that by yourself. You just get set up like anyone would go on fishing, and and I suppose the gear. We'll start talking about your techniques and stuff, but the gear is pretty simple too. Yeah, it's it's um, basic gear stuff. It's you know line fishing especially. That's that's. Um, I don't know, my grandfather was doing that, like I say, the same reefs, the same gear, exactly the same gear yeah. back in the 50s. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. And it's all hand line, you're not even using rods. All hand line, yeah, it's all hand line. You just... Is there a reason for that? Well, you'll catch, you'll get the fish into the boat a lot faster on a hand line and because you're fishing in amongst the reef, the first thing... When that fish bites your line, the first thing it does is heads for that coral. Yeah, so okay. with a rod, a lot of the time that fish will be in that coral before you can pull it back. Whereas with a hand line, you sort of direct yeah. pull on it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. This so. Very much the same um, when people target groper down on the south coast like near sydney and stuff where we're from it's always on yeah. hand line with strong mono yeah and it allows you to just keep them away from the rocks and keep them away from the holes and stuff like that that's right yeah and the other thing is we've got a there's a fair shark problem now depredation sharks taking fish off your lines right um with a hand line you can pull the fish in a lot faster and you don't lose well you lose very little fish to sharks with yeah, a hand okay. line you know yeah, with right. a rod you'll lose up to 50 60 percent of the fish that you hook yeah right yeah and so and so do you then just use like strong monofilament line that's or, right yeah, yeah just strong mono line yeah and yeah. that doesn't deter the fish at all they're pretty no yeah. steph um <laughs> if, if you're in the right place the perfect and, fish as you said <laughs> they'll take stuff off heavy mono and, and you know if you're in the right place with the right bait, I think bait's a big thing. That's why I'm so particular about my bait as well. Um, you know, it's like putting candy in front of a baby, really. Yeah, They're right. They're going to take it regardless. Yeah. What sort of bait do you use? Um, you don't have I to use tell all me if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> don't give up too no, much. No, I use all sorts of bait. Um, I use a lot of squid for the deeper water fish. The squid's more for red emperor, saddletail, gullband, things like that. Yeah. Um, for the coral trout, I'll use mullet, pilchards, sardines, fish basically for coral trout. They're, they're real fish eaters. That deeper water stuff more prefers squid. Yep. But it's all local all local stuff and all as fresh as I can get. You know, if I, if I won't eat it myself, I don't expect the fish to eat yeah, it. Right. So, yeah, right. That's the quality level. So yeah. does that mean that we can buy our bait off you? for bait prices and put it on the table <laughs> pretty much yeah <laughs> yeah that'd be, that's a good idea i know a lot of people do um go to we supply a lot of tackle shops with bait but i know a lot of people do go to tackle shops and and buy our bait and tell us how good it tastes <laughs> yeah I'll, uh, we'll talk a bit a bit more about bait after we'll, we'll, we'll finish off with sort of coral trout and some of that stuff and then yep. we'll talk about some of the other species you get and a bit about the bait but a, a part of that um you know, using the hand line and getting them away from the coral and stuff like that is, you know, not leaving anything on the reef as well. So do you want to just tell us a bit about, you know, like obviously that's important to you and, you know, using hand lines and making sure you you pull the fish in the boat quickly. Uh, you don't lose gear on the reef and stuff like that. It's a big part of your process as well. Yeah, that's right. We use fairly heavy lines. Um, 
the shallow water is sort of 55 to 70 pound breaking strain line um you know with a rod you're using generally less than 50 pounds so you're getting a lot more break-offs you're losing a lot more gear um the deeper water will use 300 pound line so you you very rarely lose gear in that deeper water um i use steel sinkers rather than lead leads leads are leads very bad for the environment mm. you know we use scrap steel for that so if we do lose gear it um rusts away in no time hooks the same we only use steel hooks if you do lose a fish with a hook in its mouth well that hook rusts out mm. fast so yeah heavy gear is important for that um do you make your own sinkers yeah yeah, yeah. where do you get your scrap from everywhere oh anywhere and everywhere yeah <laughs> yeah it's, there's insane amounts of scrap steel lying around that just end up in landfill and yeah basically you pay nothing for it yeah. whereas lead's lead's very expensive as well yeah. so. it's it's so it's so interesting to talk to you about this because being a recreational fisher myself it's all about the gear for a lot of people you know what yeah. i mean it's like yeah. people want the the newest rods the newest shimano stratic reels and yep. tiagras and you know whatever depending on what its species they're targeting and they you know they buy the the, the most expensive braid costs 150 bucks for a spool of braid or something like that yep. and and this is all so they can go out and catch a bag limit for fun you know on yep. the weekend and and maybe feed their family but then a lot of uh a lot of professionals like like yourself it's just back to basics and it's about it's about what's efficient and what works for you and it's it's about everything from you know choosing fresh bait to knowing spots and things like that and at the end of the day it's not so much about the gear no that's right i i sort of i've got a couple of mates actually that that are like you just explained they've got to have the latest greatest all the bells and whistles and colorful things and shiny things and all the rest of it and um yeah i've taken i'm taking a few people on the boat before and they look at my gear and sort of give me a few funny looks and um yeah by the end of the trip they they're sort of hanging their heads a bit they're because, converted yeah they're, like, they're about to go out and buy a uh buy a hand line on the way to the scrap metal yard. yeah yeah no <laughs> it is it's I don't know, Steph. I think a lot of them things are, are marketing things. If honestly, if I was to use a lot of the stuff that um, recreational fishermen use, I'd go broke. Yeah, <laughs> just not going to catch as many fish. No, that's so cool. Like, and uh, even things like making sinkers out of steel, like that's just you know, instead of purchasing new brand brand new made stuff that's that's had a high number of resources put into it, you know, you're, you're repurposing something that's just. Either either rusting out the back of someone's house somewhere in in a in a you know car yard or whatever it might be That's right. to, yeah. to whatever just just recycling those things and if it works for you then it just it's just those small little sort of one percenters that you can add to that sustainability factor of what you do. That's right. Yeah. So with the steel, it's it's just scrap steel. Which if you look at any building site, there's scrap steel everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like you say, any scrap metal yard, there's steel everywhere, and then the what I'll do, I've, the hardware stores, when they sell lengths of chain, when they cut the chain, that one link's cut in half. Mm. So I get them, 
I get them to collect all them bits of scrap really? and that little half a chain link gets welded onto the bit of steel. That's what you tie your line onto. So and that becomes your, your eye. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. No, there's, I don't pay for much much of much the um, sinkers. Yeah. yeah. Whereas if you were to go and buy sink, lead sinkers especially, you'd be, yeah, it'd cost a lot of money. And, and you know, as I explained to a few people, Put a um, lead sinker in a fish tank and see how long your fish last. They won't last long. Yeah, right. That's so, a good point, isn't it? Mm. I mean, it's lead. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that's we right. know lead's bad. There's a yeah. reason why we don't have it in our pipes anymore. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Wow, that's fascinating. And I guess a part of the you know it contributes to that sustainability factor, but also as someone who produces low volume, high quality, it just it, it allows you to reduce your costs at the end of the day as well. So. Yeah, that's right. That's that's our, one of our biggest hurdles is trying to keep the cost down. Yeah, you know we're focusing on high quality. Well, you got a lot of costs, so everything we can do, is, yeah, helps not only us but helps helps um, everyone in line. Yeah, cool. Um, let's talk about your processing and what happens when you get a fish on the boat. So you're uh, oh, actually, before we move on, do you, like do you lose much gear? Not a lot, Steph. Um, our biggest loss of gear is probably from sharks. Yeah. You know, when you hook a shark, they'll they'll generally, because we don't use wire trace or anything, they'll generally bite, bite the mono off. But those hooks, you know, we only use steel hooks. We don't use stainless. So mm. it doesn't take long for a hook to rust out of yep. a shark or a fish's mouth. You know, if you do, not often we get snapped off by fish, but it does happen. Um, and yeah, if it does happen, a steel hook will rust out of a fish's mouth fairly yeah. fast. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right, well, let's talk to the, talk about the, you know, the process once you get it on board, and, and this is all a part of we're sort of telling the story of this quality that you bring to your product because more people have probably interacted, well, definitely have interacted with your pro- product at a table at a restaurant than have in any other way, whether it be distribution or being out on a boat with you. So, um. You know, once you get it in, what what happens? Yeah, well, I've got the while we're fishing, we've got I've got the brain spike, the ikijimi spike, and a pair of scissors right there, right beside me. So I lift the fish into the boat with one hand, and the other hand's reaching for that brain spike. So you'll brain spike the fish, which um, that reduces well, it completely stops any stress on the fish. Um, you know, it's humane, it's dead instantly. Then I'll drop that, grab the scissors, cut the gills, which bleeds the fish. Mm -hmm. And from then I'll take the hook out of its mouth, place it in the icy cold brine. So, you know, from the second that fish takes the bait to when it goes into ice and it starts cooling down, it's generally sort of, not much more than 30 seconds mm. and it's yeah it started that cooling process mm. so it's all fast and that that's that's one of the big um big things that that helps us with quality it's all done so fast mm. tell me about using scissors because i've seen this on your instagram you use scissors to cut the gill to cut the gills where where Whenever I've bled fish in the past, it's always cut across the throat. Is it is it just basically the same result, but a quicker process? Or yeah, so when you cut the gills, it bleeds them just the same. You know, I um, 
I don't show a lot on that Instagram because people don't like seeing blood and guts too much. But we can have a whole other um, conversation about that, <laughs> and we have on this podcast. <laughs> it, it, you know, a lot of fish will squirt blood out of them gills a couple of meters, so it, yeah. it bleeds them just as well as cutting the throat. But if you cut the throat, you're opening up the flesh, and especially near the guts, you, you're. Um, increasing the risk of bacteria entering into a fish's flesh so yeah, okay you really don't want any cuts into a fish especially near its near its gut cavity yeah okay. so that, that's basically why we do it if you cut the throat you'll have reduced shelf life right and why what's what's so important about getting the blood out of a fish as soon as you get it on board um well blood Blood will make a fish taste fishy. If you can get rid, of, the more blood you can get rid of, the cleaner taste it will be. Yeah, okay. And again, shelf life. The more blood left in a flesh, fish's flesh, the you know you'll have reduced shelf life. If you right. can have that really clean flesh, no blood in it, no cuts in the flesh, that'll increase your shelf life dramatically. Yeah. And do you do you do that same process with all the species that you catch? Yeah, every every fish we catch is done like that. Every, every single, single fish. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, have you ever experimented with the? I can't remember the name of the technique, the Japanese name of the technique of Shinky wiring Jimmy. wiring yeah. the uh, wiring the spinal column. Shinky Jimmy, that is. Yeah, yeah. I have, Steph. Um, I'll do that on order because it's a. It's not a quick process like the brain spiking and bleeding. Mm. That's fairly fast, fairly easy. Um, the shinky jimmy, the wire down the spine is a. It's a lot slower process. It slows us down a lot, so there's got to be an added cost, mm. and it does definitely improve quality even further. But from that icky jimmy brain spiking and bleeding, and then going that extra step to shinky jimmy. Um, I think not a lot of people see the value in it. Yeah, so okay. it's not overly popular. It's more popular in um, bluefin tuna and things yeah, like that. When so, you've got a bit more time. Yeah. It's one large fish. One large fish, yeah. You know, a lot of these fish that we catch are only, they sort of only average two kilos. So, yeah. you know, it does add a big cost. It, it does improve quality yeah. for sure, but. Um, and yeah, every now and again, I'll get a chef that asks for it specifically. Yeah, right. So he'll say, "Can you do me three red emperor and two coral trout like that?" And I'll, yeah. I'll do it when I catch them. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's like it's 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 fascinating because for people that don't listen to you know this podcast where we go into depth about these sorts of things or read too much into it, they just sort of a lot of the time they might think. Well, you know, the chef got a list and it says red emperor, ocean trout, uh, coral trout and whatever and you just sort of tick a box and say how many you want. But like when it comes to dealing with you because you're a small producer of small volume and you've got control of everything, people can call up and say, hey, next time you land a red emperor, I want you to cut its tail open or however you do it and send a send a, yeah. a wire up its spinal column and things like that and you do that to order. So yeah. it sort of just speaks to 
when it comes to that level of quality, it's it's control, like the, abil- the ability of you and 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 to be able to communicate with with chefs about what they're after and what they want, and then to be able to even sort of customize quality further for people that are willing to pay for it and stuff. It's yeah, no, cool. that's right. I think that's a big thing for a lot of chefs too. You know, um, same as the, for instance, passion fruit trout. I get a few chefs. Oh, next time you get one of them, can you let me know and I'll buy it and or yeah. They can they can contact me at any time and ask for a specific fish done in a specific way, mm. um, even caught on a on a certain day. You know, quite often, quite often I'll get contacted. Um, we'll need X amount of coral trout on this day. Can you do it? It's like, yep, no worries, we yeah, can right. do that. And um, yeah, I think that's it is good. Yeah, Chefs it's definitely a part it. of the appeal because yeah. you know. Uh, one chef one thing that the chefs struggle with is inconsistency yeah. you know if if they order a certain product and it doesn't come in when or at the quality that they need it at or whatever um it it sends a whole spanner into the works of running a restaurant yeah. but at least you know you might have inconsistency when it comes to your ability to get out with weather and things like that but at least you can communicate to chefs all right well this is when we're fishing this week and if you want you want to get your orders in and stuff like that then get them in yeah no that's right i talk to most of our most of our customers once twice sometimes three times a week but they always always once a week everyone knows roughly what what the week ahead's um what i'm planning for the week ahead what i'm sort of looking at targeting what they can expect yeah yeah so it's good um yeah endless endless conversation <laughs> endless conversation with chefs <laughs> yeah. out on the boat and some chefs calling you it's like oh yeah there now any yep. any any you know passion fruit trout around yeah uh, yep. come on mate i'm just trying to fish mate <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I think just going back to that shinkijime technique as well. I, the only place that I've ever seen that done with small species, you see it done on boats with billfish and tuna, like you say. But I think they only well, the only place I've seen it done is when they take live fish to market and then process them out of market, and they've got that sort of you know time to do it. I don't think that happens on boat, boats very much with a smaller species. No, not a lot. I think with the higher valued bluefin, it might happen at times. Um, yeah, with the bigger fish, I think. So. I've never actually seen anyone do it with um, reef fish or smaller fish at mm. all. I know a lot of people told me I was crazy when I started doing it. But I probably am a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Striving for quality always. That's right. Chris. All right, let's. Uh, I want to ask about the this ice slurry as well, and and why it's important to. Well, firstly, what it is is that just a mixture of seawater and ice? Basically, stuff. Yeah, yeah that's it all right. it is. Yeah. yeah, and then why is it important to cool the fish down so quickly? Well, you you want it cooled fast. You know, from the second they're pulled from the water, they're starting to deteriorate. Yeah. So what you want to do is slow that clock down. You know that 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 timer starts from the second you pull them from the water. So the faster you can cool that core temperature down. Um the more you're going to increase shelf life if you put them in hot water or let them sit on the deck even even for 30 seconds one minute in you might not see the difference today but you'll see the difference in three four five days time Mm, so it's you want to get them cool fast yeah and then and then what about coming off the boat then 
how do you sort of maintain that that cool you know that all the way through well that's the good thing with what we do Steph our boats are on trailers and we've got our own cold room so when when we come in we don't unload at wharfs or mm. unload anywhere like that in the sun or anything so we drive the boat in right beside the cold room door and the Perfect. fish goes from the boat into the cold room and into the boxes and it's cool and so it's yeah that that cold chains there the whole way through yeah amazing um and you also are you obliged by the fishery here and the department like what are your record keeping practices like and stuff like that yeah well it it is we've got a lot of paperwork um so when we go out before we even leave to go to sea we've got to fill out some paperwork to say we're going out we've got x amount of crew on we left at this time of the day um at the end of every day we've got to fill out you know numbers of fish kilos of fish where we've fished we've also got at the same time we're getting um satellite track 24 7 we've got a satellite tracker on the boat that knows where we are every second of the day right (laughs) um then while we're out there we've got to keep account of every single fish of every species yep and when before we come home we've got to ring in uh queensland fisheries number and tell them where we're exactly where we're coming into exactly what time we're going to be there and exactly how many fish we've got on and we've got to do that an hour ahead of before we get in so that way if they say all right we want to go and check chris today we'll meet him at caramine beach boat ramp at one o'clock this afternoon he's got to have this many fish on yeah right he's been here and all that so yeah there's that and then when we unload every fish has to be weighed to the you know exactly spot on every species has got to be weighed as soon as every fish is out of the boat i've got to ring up again ring in those kilos that comes off our quota we've got yearly quotas and for all that there we've also got to have paperwork to back all of that up so yeah there's a lot of paperwork involved steph there's paperwork for um if we have interactions with endangered species or species of conservation interest um does that happen much very rarely yeah what sort of stuff would it be if you do see stuff um the main things that i've i've had anything to do with uh mary rass you know you'll you'll get maybe six or eight of them a year yeah okay they release well they all release well um barramundi cod yeah there's a lot of them around now they've been protected for or since 2004 so the numbers there's a lot of barramundi cod Mm. out there now they were they were were they a pretty targeted species before they were protected uh not so much targeted but they're a common common um catch when targeting coral trout they live in the same country yeah okay they take the same baits but the thing with barramundi cod was they're very docile fish, so um, spearfishing was actually right. having a big impact on them. Same as what they've done with groper down south. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so. interesting. Cool. So huge. Like we'll talk about, again, like we'll sort of do a bit about sustainability a little bit later, but this all sort of goes towards the process of sustainability of your fishery and um, of the coral trout and of the reef species fishery yeah. up here, which we'll talk about the fishery more generally in a second. Yeah. But uh, so the doors of the, the paperwork's done and the doors of the uh, cold room get closed. And what's next? 
Um, then we, you know, we'll spend oh, generally four or five hours in that cold room. We'll have a list of, you know, on, on my way in, I'll be I'll be contacting chefs and yep. and wholesalers and say, you know, this is what I've got. This is what you can have. This is so I've I've got all my orders sorted, which which sometimes is a bloody bit of a bit of a job in itself. I'm sure. Um, so yeah, then I'll Kim will Kim will be at home. I'll I'll text her and say, right, oh, we've got this for Martins, this for Brisbane, this for yeah. Text her all the different orders, so she'll make up the boxes. She'll have all the packing things ready to go. You know, everything's all ready to go. So we put the fish in there. Um, we're in there for four or five hours, generally packing fish. Which even if I get home at lunchtime, we won't start till about nine or ten o'clock at night. Wow. So yeah, it's that way. It's in the boxes for minimal time. You know. Yep goes in them boxes it gets packed it goes to the airport it's down there you know within hours yeah right and then straight on a cold flight to sydney or melbourne yeah or brisbane, brisbane sydney melbourne wherever um, it goes. Orpheus island wherever yeah all around australia adelaide yeah great and and so do you do you sort of like are you particular about the wholesalers and stuff that you work with yeah, we won't, you know, we get a lot of um, inquiries about fish stuff, but I've sort of, um, I, I am very fussy about who we sell to, you know, we don't just sell to anyone, even if we do, even if we did ever have excess fish, which we don't, um, I won't just sell to anyone that doesn't matter, you know, like a couple of times we've been offered prices much higher than what we charge, we're just money money won't make me sell fish to anyone it's yep. you know I, i'm sort of very very particular about who we sell to and the people we sell to now we've sold to them for a few years now and um they've been loyal to us we're loyal to them and yeah yeah works well keeps you happy and i mean sort of take you back to when you were first sort of getting going and and you know, establishing your business and things like that was sort of this top premium level of quality and attention to detail across everything you do. Was that something you wanted to do from the beginning? Was that something that sort of developed as you went on? Oh, that was sort of something I wanted to do when I was a kid, actually, believe it or not. I'd see, um, you know, back in them days, Steph, it was, I know, I look back at it now and even, even my dad looks back at it now and goes, Jesus you know how were we selling that fish back in them days? yeah right but i used to i used to see the fish when we first caught them and i'd i'd think geez i'd love to be able to get some of this fish down to cities or imagine what people would think if we could give them fish that looked and tasted like like this you know which so i'd sort of thought about it for a long time and then um you know when i first started fishing was for my uncle on a prawn trawler up in torres straits um and he was very quality orientated. Um, at the time, I didn't like it much because I used to get my ass kicked for, <laughs> you know, any little mistakes. And um, so, yeah, that got – and he, he he was very successful, actually, one of the most successful trawler fishermen that I know of. Um, and basically, that was all quality. Um, over the years, I worked for some not-so-good fishing operations mm-hmm. before I had my own business – 
And, you know, I took it all in and saw that overall the ones that were concentrating on quality more were the ones that were doing better. They weren't necessarily catching the most fish, but they seemed to be doing better, you know, and and it just all came together. When I when I started my own business, I thought, right, I'll... I'm not really going to concentrate on quali- on um, quantity. I want to I want to concentrate on quality. I don't want to be wasting fish. Like um, probably one thing that really made me realise that was, you know, I'd I'd um, some of the fish I'd see that was brought in, I wouldn't eat it myself. Mm. Um, and the prices, you know, I know the prices were low. Even today, average wharf prices are, are very low. Mm. But and when you look at it, wild caught reef fish, it's one of the best bloody foods on I the know. planet. It's it, amazing. It, it should be equal with um, you know premium grade wagyu steak. Yeah, it definitely should. So I thought you know that there's only one way to achieve them sort of prices, and that's quality. And yeah. that's yeah. I mean. It's, it's going well for me, yeah. Yeah, cool. And so how did you sort of get it out there that this is what you're doing and that you were doing something different? Did it take sort of conversations with certain wholesalers and chefs that you already had a relationship with to, to say, look, I'm going to do this thing where my fish is going to be expensive, but I'm going to be able to tell you with total transparency every step of the way, like you've just done, what I do to ensure that this is the best fish you can get? Yeah, it was funny actually. Um you know, for for a few years, when Kim and I started our own business, we were just doing what everyone else did, wholesaling, basically catching as much as we could for a set price. Um, and I just had enough, you know. I said to Kim, "We can't, we can't do this. We've got to do what I'd originally planned to do." And um, I rang around a lot of fishermen right around Australia. I said, "You know, this is what I want to do. I want to do." The concentrate on the premium market premium quality high prices catch less fish but get more money for it and there i can't even think of one person that said go for it you know they all told me i was mad yeah and i had to spend probably 50 grand just to get started um everyone said you're crazy if you're going to spend that you know buy a bigger boat catch more fish that's that's what you want to do and i thought you know what I'm just going to do it anyway. So I went and spent the money and at the time I wasn't on social media. I hated social media. I wouldn't even look at it. And one of my friends said to me, you've got to get on the social media, you know. That's that's the only way these days, you know. I know you don't like it, but in this day and age, if you're not on social media, mm. I went, oh, well, you know what, I'll give it a go. Um Within no time, I had a couple of restaurants contact me. Um, Zach Sykes was the first chef. I think he was at Jellyfish in Brisbane yep. at the time. Um, he started buying fish and then, of course, being a chef, they all talked to each other and he put me on to more and more and more and it just it grew. I couldn't believe how fast it grew, actually. Mm, great. So, and, yeah. and I think that that's like... You know, social media social media can be a, a bad a good and a bad place. And yeah. you know, that's definitely when it comes to uh, producers, it's it's given them a platform to 
you know, show what they do to to the customer. And then when there's high profile chefs out there, people running some of the you know best restaurants in Australia using your product, and then sort of you know chefs just love good produce. Um, posting about your product, saying this is this is the most fantastic stuff. They've got people that follow them all within your target market essentially that go geez okay what's this and then they just get put onto you and that sort of perpetuates um did it feel like tell tell us a bit about when you sort of started winning awards at delicious and stuff like that was that like a a good affirmation that you know you really made the right call that time when everyone told you not to do it but you did it and (laughs) and you said i'm going to chase quality instead of instead of anything else and, and and we'll see how we go Oh yeah, no, for sure. That was that was um yeah, even now when I look back on it it's still um yeah, I don't know. But on yeah, winning awards and but not even not even really winning awards, Steph. It was just having people like, you know, Jocks on Frillo and Gulami Brahimi and people like that, you know, saying how good my fish was and wanting to use it and you know, sharing it on their social media and I thought, you know what, bloody I'm really glad I did that and it was it was definitely worth a step worth doing and um it proved a lot of people wrong. That was that was a good feeling. Yeah. Do, has anyone around the area or any other commercial fishers in the area sort of started going down the same path? Have you sort of set a, set an example that that it's possible for some people? There is a few lately. Um there's a few that are getting more into it. Not so much as far as what we do, but it's definitely made a lot of commercial fishermen look more at quality now, for sure. Yeah. You know, when we started, that's why everyone told me I was mad. You know, no one no one that I know of really concentrated on quality. Um, and, you know, fish was a set price back then. We'd been price takers. It was not... You know, you got told, right, a coral trout you get $20 for. So it didn't matter if you bring in seven-day-old coral trout that you wouldn't eat yourself or if you brought it in that was caught two hours ago, $20, that was it. Yeah. You know, so no one, I don't think at the time many fishermen realised that you don't have to be a price taker. If you, you set that quality, well... You know, you set the price. Basically, you set the price. So when I did it, I think it made a lot of fishermen sit back and go, geez, you know what, maybe we should look more at quality and um, less at quantity. Yeah, cool. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, it's something to be proud of as well to sort of a proof of concept really is what you've done and and, and allows for, for more people to do that. And I think that that's happening across you know numerous different types of products and industries and things like that there's people out there that have made a name for themselves you know whether it's on social media or otherwise for their quality and then people are sort of seeking them out to get their produce because chefs are interested in the best that they can find at at, you know certain styles of venues and um and they'll chase that so it's kind of um evangelized producers to to follow that model in whatever it might be because as soon as you know, someone like Jock or whoever it might be has has that product on their menu and gives you a shout out and says, I haven't seen fish like this or I haven't seen, you know, yeah. spuds like this or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it sort of sets that those wheels in motion like, like what happened for you. Yeah, no, that's right. And, and you know, um, 
chefs like that, they realise that we can't sell that product for the same as average quality. They realise there's extra costs involved. It's not going to be cheap, but they, you know, of course everyone's got a budget, but to them quality is the most important thing. You know, of course it's going to end up more expensive on their menu, no doubt about that, but if they want to have the best and, and, you know, I've spoken to Jock a couple of times and people like that um, were very similar. You know, they're like me. They just want the best. I yeah. want the best. They want the best. They know I can't do it for low prices. Um, yeah. I do they're happy it. to pay it. Yeah, they're happy to pay. So, yeah. 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 Cool. All right. Um, let's move on and we'll finish with just a bit about sustainability because there are misconceptions about seafood sustainability out there. And I know that there's a documentary that's just been released that might perpetuate some of those misconceptions. Um, but do you see – is the amount of coral trout out on the reef where you're fishing now, like how do you see that in comparison to what you saw when you were younger? Well, believe it or not, Steph – I'm catching more now than I've ever seen before out here. Wow. Um, you know, my dad still comes with me now and sometimes he just shakes his head. He's like, you know, I've never seen this sort of, these sort of amounts of trout consistently. Um, yeah, we've got better technology. Um, you know, some of the sounders and we've got GPS, of course, things like that. We have got better, but overall... Coral trout especially, um, I don't think we've got any problems whatsoever with coral trout. Mm. And do you think that that's because of the nature of the species? Like you were talking about before, they breed well, they, they're resilient fish um, and, you know, they they grow over large areas in different habitats and things like that. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're very fast growing. They breed well. Another, another thing is we've got 30% green zones on the great barrier reef so 30 percent of the great barrier reef is no take no yeah. fishing no so you know that alone is a big help at the time a lot of the commercial fishing industry really was dead against the green zones when it came in that was in 2004 um but yeah now i think everyone's sitting back going you know what that was a bloody Good idea. At the time. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that's interesting because there's a there's there's a lot of a uh, a lot of controversy about marine protected areas happening in New South Wales right now. So yeah, yeah it's an interesting observation for, for from a commercial fisherman. Yeah. No. Well, for up here, it has definitely helped. But yeah, you know, we've got quotas, very strict quotas. If you go one kilo over your quota, you you're in for a fine straight away. Right. Um, and so, is there a fishery? Like, is there a reef fish fishery in this area that you're a part of the that you're a part of a fleet or a part of yeah well it's a reef line fishery so you've got to have the reef line fishery symbol on your license right i think there's about 330 in queensland with that symbol um yeah you know it's all quoted it's each species is quoted. There's a fair bit of research. We do quite a bit of research with Queensland fisheries. Um, like I say, we've got satellite monitoring. We've got all this paperwork. So they're getting better and better with the with the data. They've they've been a bit behind in the past, but they are getting better. They're a little bit behind on the recreational side of things at the moment. Um, 
with COVID, the recreational side's increased dramatically. Yeah. Um, they probably need to catch up there a bit. But, yeah, overall, at the moment, Steph, yeah, the fish stocks, in my opinion, uh, are especially coral trout are as good as they've been some of the deep water stuff that's slower growing um you know some of that probably needs to be looked at but even then it's it's a long way from being in dire straits that's for sure mm. well that's really that's really promising yeah promising stuff yeah. um do you I, we recently, and, I, and I, I mentioned this because I saw in a recent Instagram post, but uh, we recently spoke to Bill Holden, who's a outreach officer for the Marine Stewardship Council. Um, and you sort of mentioned that these uh, sorts of certifications don't bring enough value to your product to allow for the cost. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? We won't spend too long on it, but uh, but is there any opportunity for sort of the whole fishery to get licensed or anything like that? Like, I mean, as you, uh, or certified, as you say, fish stocks have been stronger than almost ever, which is amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know, Steph. The biggest problem with those sorts of things is cost. Um, you know, by all accounts, the reef line fishery, the fish stocks are in good shape. We have very, very minimal interactions with endangered species or species of conservation interest. Um, we don't have a lot of impact on the environment overall and you know especially myself as as a reef guardian we go above and beyond what we're yeah, required tell us a bit about already. the reef guardian program yeah oh so basically the reef guardian program it's they don't recognize recognize us as sustainable um it just recognises that we go above and beyond what we're required by law. So look, things like steel sinkers, um, you know, we've got solar power. We've got, yeah, you look around our yard, native trees everywhere, you know, things like that. Yeah. So more more than we're actually legally required. So, But, you know, um, back to the certification thing, like I, I talked to, AMCS, Australian Marine Conservation Society, and people like that. And by all accounts, WWF, they're the same. The reef line fishery is one of the most well-managed, sustainable fisheries in the world already. Um, my thing is, I just don't see don't see yeah. the value in paying for. Someone's got to pay for that. Totally. And yeah. It won't be me. And it'll be the the end you know the consumer that'll pay for it. exactly and and i think that at the end of the day um if you're selling everything you catch yeah and if you sell everything that you have the capacity to catch yeah then it it, it it doesn't make a difference one way or the other i think that within yourself you've got the ability to be transparent on your social media and yep. on your website and on the information you put out about your practices it's all recorded so yep. if there's ever anyone that wants to go through the joys of looking through your catch records and your gps you know yeah. monitors or whatever it might be then they can do it and you're fine with that so at the end of the day it doesn't make much difference and it and i think that that's like across industries like production and also hospitality that are low margin industries where you know it's not it's not making it's it's making a very small percentage of people very rich that's right. um you just can't you just can't afford to pay for stuff that doesn't really matter to you as much as a symbol might help. 
No, that's right. You know, for big volume fisheries, selling the coals and woolies and places like that, yeah, them them sort of things might help. But, yeah, at the end of the day, like I say, Steph, if we get hit with that charge, it's got to be passed on. I, I can't, you know, I can't absorb them costs. Yeah. Restaurants can't absorb them costs. Mm. It all gets passed on. And, you know, like you say, anyone that wants to can look up I mean, well, not anyone, but Fisheries Queensland, who manages the fisheries, they know exactly where every single fish I've caught, exactly how many fish I've caught, the numbers, the species, the kilos. The there's not much. Even if we were certified, nothing, nothing would change in the way we operate. Not a single thing. Yeah, exactly. So there you yeah. go. Cool. Um, all right, let's finish it off. Uh, people can. I've eaten your fish at restaurants and stuff like that. I've never been out and bought it. Can people buy it retail? Yeah. Um, fish Factory in Brisbane always put some in their retail display. Yep. And Martin's in Sydney, they have an online, not all the time, but when, you know, when they do big orders or when I do catch extra, you know, during peak times, they'll, they'll have an online online thing there where you can buy a little bit but generally it gets sold fast Steph. so yeah. generally restaurants yeah you know, we just don't catch do the don't catch the volume really yeah. for retail yeah so. well you mentioned before as well that um before we started that i mean when it comes to sustainability it's another point worth mentioning is that you don't even fill your quota each year no we always have quota left over yeah so it's you know it, and every kilo whether we catch it or not we've got to pay for it but yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I don't go out and just catch fish just for the sake of filling quota. Yeah, exactly. But. Yeah, cool. Um, if people want to follow your Instagram, which is one of my favourite ones to check out when you're on the water, it's always great. If you like me and you're into fishing, commercial fishermen are great to follow because they're on the water 300 days a year or whatever it might be. A lot of times. So what, what's your Instagram account again? Uh, just Chris Bolton Fishing. Perfect. Yeah. Give him a follow, Chris, mate. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm so glad. You know, to be up here in Cairns um, for something completely different, but to be, be able to have the opportunity to come down and say good day and check out what you're doing is fantastic. Thanks for joining me. No, thanks a lot to you, Steph. Cheers, mate. Hello, dear listeners. Steph here. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of The Food Fight. If you want to get in touch with us, it's at The Food Fight Podcast on Instagram or The Food Fight Podcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you and we want to talk to you. Please leave us a five star review on iTunes. That really helps. If you want to hit me up, it's quicksandfood.com or at quicksandfood on Instagram. And if you want to get in touch with Simon, it's Simon underscore Evans underscore TBD on Instagram. Thanks so much for tuning in and we'll catch you again with another episode. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 